0: Welcome back to the Motherload Show. I'm Jackson Dunn here with WVCR, also on CastBox and Anchor.fm. This week I'm talking about a subject that has come up many times in the news, and it's not a specific news story, but rather a specific trend that has been going on, that we all call cancel culture. This is the idea that if someone does something that is considered not correct or considered repugnant to society, that their business and or their livelihood should be boycotted in exchange for some type of repentance that they must do to become part of society once again. And this doesn't always seem like a bad thing, but I want to talk a little bit about what it means to actually cancel people and what it actually leads to, because oftentimes when you talk about philosophical ideas like this, you have to look at the slippery slope down which they can lead. And we're going to explore that slippery slope right here on The Mother Load Show coming up. We're almost 100 years away from the 1920s. And as part of our remembrance of, I guess, the last century, and certainly the 1920s were a formative time in both our countries and the world's history, we should also remember back to what made the 1920s what they were, which was, of course, World War I. And there is a famous story, a story about a private in the British Army a man who was known as the most decorated man in the British army at the time he was a he was a soldier and he had a very specific mode of conduct modus operandi he would never kill anyone who was unarmed any of his enemies any of the nazis or not nazis at the time it was it was the germans right the nazi party didn't start until much later but he wouldn't kill any of the germans who were unarmed And nevertheless, he was a very famous and well-known soldier. His name, Private Henry Tandy, was famous specifically not only for his humanitarian conduct, but also for saving one specific soldier in the German army, a soldier who was indeed Nazi, indeed the founder of the Nazis, Adolf Hitler himself. He saved him, and of course Hitler went on to kill a ton of people, and it led to this famous philosophical question. And I'm not going to talk much about Hitler or Nazism. That's a kind of played out topic. And not only that, but, but it isn't really the point. I w- instead want to talk about this philosophical idea. If you could go back, if you could go back to 1910, let's say, and you could find Hitler, would you kill him? Would you kill Hitler before he did any of his crimes? In the case of Henry Tandy, he saw an unarmed man, a, a private on the ground, and he didn't know anything about him. But he, he allowed his humanity to take over, and he gave this man another chance at life, and he went on to be a quite evil dictator. If we could go back, would we change his action? Would we change what Private Tandy did? And this is a question that's been argued over and over and over by philosophers and by sociologists and people who deal in the human condition, if you will, which is, is evil, is something bad? Is something as evil as the evil that Hitler did actually part of him himself? Or is it something external to him? Is it something that he learns and picks up over time? Is it something that if we killed him, we could keep from happening in the world around us? Because it might be possible. It might be true. And certainly there are ethical ways of thinking about it in which you kill one person for the good of the others. And... It's a very relevant topic, not because we go around killing people or because we go around trying to find out who's going to be the next Hitler. But because we're coming up on a time where we like to do or like to follow the idea that we are able to cancel or to boycott or to shun people who we believe have viewpoints that could either lead to evil or viewpoints that are inherently evil even when there are no actions to back those viewpoints up. Now, we call this cancel culture, which is, of course, what I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, in the introduction there. What I was saying was that a lot of times, especially in recent days, we've seen people who are not necessarily great people be canceled or be specifically cut off from their, um, their jobs specifically. But also taken out of polite society for things they said, not necessarily things they did. And it's a bit puritanical and it's kind of interesting to me because if you look back at the 1960s and 1970s, the whole idea of the hippie movement was the idea that there was free expression, free love, that you could do what you wanted and you wouldn't have fear of repercussion. And we've sort of walked the opposite way on the line a little bit in our generation, in that no longer. Are we trying to give freedom for people to express themselves, even if it's expressed themselves poorly? But instead, we try to understand what everyone thinks and then judge them based on what we, one, believe they think, but also the things that they've said or the things that they've done, even if it's in the past, even if they ostensibly ostensibly have changed their mind. Now, there is a case that could be made that that's a good thing. In the case of Henry Tandy, maybe if he had killed Hitler, we wouldn't have had the issue. We wouldn't have had Nazism as it as it showed itself in Germany. But it would have been a hard thing for him to do. It would have been a hard thing for him to understand that some of the people on the ground that he saw unarmed when he was going in and storming buildings, when he was going in and fighting his enemies, he it would have had a hard time understanding or knowing Who were those who were evil and who were those who were good? And nowadays, we have a little more insight into that, especially in the digital age, where everything people talk about or say can in some way be accessed by technology. And it's a lot more prevalent and a lot more invasive than we think. Now, of course, none of us expect that our private conversations at home are going to come out to the public, and generally they don't. But the technology exists for them, to. And certainly as technology gets more and more prevalent and people are wearing things like smartwatches and are using smartphones and things with cameras and microphones on them at all times and a constant connection to the internet, which is basically a connection to the world at all points. Every word and every action that you do and everything you say can be scrutinized and can be analyzed. Right now it's mostly being analyzed by tech companies who use it to advertise products to us. And and actually you can try this. And for some people it may work. If you say something when your when your phone is off, okay? You actually talk in front of it. Say a couple of specific words. Say let's say talk about the business target. Talk about Target and how you want to go to Target. Do this and what you'll notice is that you'll see ads over the next couple of days on your social media accounts, if you use them, or if you look up web articles, you'll, you'll see a, suddenly a lot of ads for Target. Or if you talk about Walmart, you'll see a bunch of ads for Walmart. And basically, it's these tech companies that are analyzing the things you say. And usually, it's not done by people. It's done by algorithms. So you're not really being surveilled in that sense. But everything you say is being analyzed by, by technology. And, and all that is to say, is that we are in an age because we have so much information on other people where we're swinging towards trying to figure out what people will do and then deciding whether or not they have their rights they should have their rights based on it a case of this might be the red flag laws when we talk about when we talk about gun ownership in the United States and because of some high profile shootings there are a lot of lawmakers and this is not relegated to one party or the other, who, who've brought up bills that basically say those who show a tendency toward mental illness should not be allowed to have a firearm. But it gets into strange territory in the same way that Henry Tandy gets into strange territory by saving Hitler. Yes, we might save people. We might save a very high-profile shooting, We might save a lot of people from it. And that's a great thing, right? Nobody disagrees that it is a great thing to have killers taken off of our streets. And yet, it's very difficult to say, are we really doing what we're intending to do? Are we really saving people's lives? Or instead, are we using this power, this power to understand people, as a way to justify what is technically an unjustifiable thing? We are trying to punish people for crimes that they have not yet committed and that's a, and that's actually a good thing to look at in the case of Hitler we look at Hitler's life and actually Hitler's life was in a way miraculous and certainly if you believe in God more so Hitler had was saved a lot of times from death not only in the war in which he was in which he was saved by Henry Tandy but but also many times over his political career where he Survived multiple assassination attempts, including a bomb planted in a building where he was holding a speech. So if for some reason, he had to leave the building. The bomb goes off. It happened over and over. He survived many, many assassination attempts by people who realized that he was not a good guy. And it starts looking like, even though he was such an evil man, that there was a purpose for his life. And as bad as Hitler was, I think that there probably was. Uh, Something that Christians believe is that God works all things for good. That means when something evil happens in the world that he can use it for good. And even though I think it was one of the worst things that could have happened in the world for genocide on the scale of the Nazi genocide to happen. At the same time, this, this horrible situation led to a situation where the world had to wake up and realize what was good and what was evil. And that we had to save the Jewish people from a, a tyrant, and we also had a moral imperative to continue fighting World War II and to win it, because if we didn't, we would lose not only the things we fight for, freedom and family, but we would literally be losing our life to someone who was mani- maniacal and crazy. But it but it's so crazy that that Hitler seemed to be saved all of these different times and it begs that question. Is was that a good thing? And can we change it? And it's sad but I I don't know that we can. The movie Minority Report, maybe you watched it, is a is a Tom Cruise movie about how the how they've trained these people who have some powers of empathy that they have sort of a sixth sense to be able to sense crimes that they've trained these people to find criminals before they commit a crime and then put them, put them in prison. And the premise of this movie is that at some point, a person, and in this case Tom Cruise, has the chance to choose whether or not he commits that crime. Even, even though you can estimate, you can guess, you can predict that someone will commit a crime, you're still dealing with a statistical reality which is to say it's most likely in a statistical sense going to happen, but it won't necessarily. And when you look at statistics, when you look at them, especially in the legal sense, statistics are very useful. When you look at road death statistics, making people wear a seatbelt makes sense because we can use a preventative measure to keep people from dying on the road. And we can see it by the statistics. The amount of people who died after seatbelts were installed in cars are much less than those who died beforehand, at least on a, on a ratio basis. The same is true with airbags. The same is true with many, many safety features we build into society. But at the same time, statistics don't tell a, a personal individual picture. They don't tell about what happens to a person any given day. It's not necessarily true that if you drive drunk, or if you don't have your seatbelt on, that you are going to crash your car. That you're going to have a problem. That you're going to hit a pedestrian. That that somehow you're going to whack your head on the on the dashboard of your car. That's not necessarily going to happen to you, but it happens to some people. And when you're talking about things that are what we call inalienable rights, and the reason that this word is used in the Constitution and in the uh, Declaration of Independence, that we have that we have inalienable rights. They're, they're rights that not only the government has no right from to take from us, but that we literally cannot live without these things or at least cannot exist in any meaningful way without them when you take away those rights the right to liberty okay if you incarcerate people because of the crime of thinking or if you try to cancel somebody for the crime of thinking or or doing something that you disagree with that you think is possibly bad for society you are you are leading into a place where what's bad for society can be dictated by anyone's definition. But more than that, that you're trying to look at statistical realities and predict reality off of them. And it isn't true in everyone's case. It's very true that Henry Tandy could have saved Hitler. I mean, excuse me, he could have killed Hitler. And he could have saved a lot of people. But it's also true that maybe for the other 99 people that he allowed to go free, that some of them went on to have families and some of them went on to grow and flourish and maybe have children who were scientists or doctors or maybe have children who were just comforting and kind people in their community and helped other people. Were just good workers and contributed to the economy. Those other people that he saved could be, even though we don't talk about them, even though we don't know who they are, they could have gone on to lead lives that were As as effective and as important in the historical sense as Hitler's was, but not in a way that would gain them any notoriety. And this is the back end of every statistic that we don't see. When you say that there's, let's say, a 60% chance of death in a car wreck, when you don't have your seatbelt on, that means there's a 40% chance that you won't die in that car wreck. And when you're dealing with statistical realities, you have to remember what the possibility is on both sides. Of the statistic in the same way if you look at a football game and I've been watching a lot of football recently at the end of the game right if one team is down they'll start doing more and more risky plays to try to get points and if you look at the statistics they're not very good in favor of the team that's down several points so let's say you know in football there's there's five downs if you don't if you don't move the ball that quickly if you don't get it past ten yards then the other team gets the ball But towards the end of the game, what, what teams will do is they'll try to use up all of those downs. They'll try to continue to fight, continue to throw the ball into risky situations where the ball could get taken away. And the reason they're doing this, even though it's a risky move, is because it's the only chance they have of winning. And they're fighting against the statistical reality that they're probably going to lose. And they're fighting against it with what some people might call blind hope, right? Just throwing it away, a Hail Mary towards the end zone. But it's the only way in which they can win. And what a coach has to decide is when it is more, more important that they win a game than that the other team gets another seven points for, a, for another touchdown, right? So, so a coach will decide towards the end of the game, you know what, if the other team gets another point, if they take the ball from us, if they steal the ball from us, it doesn't matter anymore. What, what does matter is that we at least give ourselves and our fans a chance that we can win. And so they'll fight against this statistical reality to do what's good, or not to do what's good, but to make a good outcome in their game. And the same is true when you talk about humans in crime situations, when you talk about someone like a Hitler, when you talk about someone in, in, let's say, who has bad mental health, having a gun. Yes, it's very true that some of those people, some of those people with poor mental health, or some of those people who you save on the battlefield will grow up and be worse, will kill more people, will go back into their army and just do what they're intended to do as soldiers and kill your side. Yes, it happens. But the statistical the statistical calculation you have to make is not whether or not it will save every person, but rather whether your actions will benefit the right person, even if you allow one bad person to get away. And this is the hard part about rights. The hard part about human rights is that they oftentimes go against what are statistically good for society. Things that are basic basic rights of human beings can sometimes come at cost to others. When you talk about something like the right to liberty, that's the right to have freedom of movement, the right to move around and to have no surveillance over you as you move, that you can do what you want when you want it. And the fact is that when there are people who are necessarily bad in society, and there will always be a subsection of people who are bad, who are not going to do the right thing. Liberty is a dangerous game to play. Actually, I would, I would go as far as to say that 100% of crimes are crimes based on liberty, that people have the freedom to move in ways that the government simply cannot control. And because of that, they use their liberty Whether it's just the liberty to pick up a pencil or a hammer and kill somebody in their house. Or whether it's the liberty to travel across a state and rob a bank. We have to deal with the fact that people have freedom and we have to deal with that. And the reason why we do is not because for some reason it's always going to be a good thing. And even statistically it might be a poor decision for society as a whole. But in the end, who are the people who benefit from it? And the people who benefit from liberty are not necessarily only the criminals. But the other people who benefit from liberty are, are people like you and people like me, who without it have no way of having a meaningful existence. Without liberty, we don't have the ability to understand and know things about God. We don't have the ability to understand and know where we're going or what our life is for. Without liberty, we can't provide food for ourselves and for our families, and we can't invent, we can't make better society because we don't have the ability to think for ourselves. And so despite the fact that it is a statistical bad thing for society to have freedom, it is a good thing for society as a whole that we do. The same is true with the killing of Hitler. Hitler was a bad man. Hitler did evil things. And Henry Tandy would probably go back today and still save his life. The reason why is because what what Hitler would have done was never set in stone. The things that are in the future are not set in stone. We can't decide what people are going to do. And we may have a 90% certainty that somebody with a mental illness may pick up that gun and go shoot somebody. And it's a horrible thing, and we don't want that. And yes, we need to have law enforcement, and yes, we need to have ways of helping and reaching out to those people so that those incidents do not happen. But if we take away a liberty, if we take away a right, if we also involve ourselves in the cancel culture where we take away somebody's job, or they're standing in society because of something they said 10 years ago, what we are doing is we are precluding the possibility that they can be a better person in their future, that they can do better things. And a lot of the people who we would have canceled, we would have killed, that we maybe should have if we were in the same spot as Henry Tandy, actually went on to be great people after after their stinted evil. One of those people, and I don't think she'd mind me using her name, is Angela Stanton, a writer. She's a writer who spent several years in prison, several years in prison on drug-related charges, and came out and became an inspirational speaker, a motivational speaker, and has tried to help people understand how they can be better people coming out after a crime. She's gained some popularity and obviously made some enemies because of her controversial stance that, that some, some crimes should be punished in ways that society doesn't deem okay. She's pretty, still a pretty strict disciplinarian that if you commit a crime that you should go to jail for it or you should be punished for it. But at the same time, she testifies and she tells people about how her story is she she was redeemed she was made better she found god she found she found jesus and it made her a better person but but beyond that she was able to change and one of the cool things about humans and about humanity that isn't the same with statistical realities that isn't the same with a computer and a lot of people think of the brain as a computer and it isn't our brains our way of thinking is able to change over time. Actually, Stalin, the, the leader of communist Russia, also terrible person, changed from a hardline fighter, a a person who fought for the government and was pretty a pretty successful guy into a crazy dictator. And someone like Angela Stanton turned from a, a criminal into a motivational speaker and a and a person who's done a lot of good for her community. And that's the that's the reality is that statistics cannot determine freedom. And if we allow them to do that, if we allow ourselves to cancel people because we dislike what they're doing today, if it's not a crime, if they aren't actively contributing to the hurt of society, we have to understand that whatever they say, People can change. People can either become better or they can become worse. And sometimes we will allow someone who will become worse, who will become evil, truly evil, to get away. But at the same time, we'll be saving society and we'll allow redemption in society, something that we desperately need. We desperately need people who understand what it's like to walk in a dark place in their lives and to find light again. And if we don't allow those people to ever find light again, then what are we living for anyway? Except a, a look at a long spiral downward. If we say one wrong thing, we'll never be able to get back again. And that's not a world I want to live in, and I hope that's not a world you'd want to live in either. This is Jackson Dunn on The Motherload Show. I thank you so much for joining me. Check out this podcast episode over on castbox.fm or anywhere you get podcasts, and I'll see you next week.